0: Thank you guys so much. I love my time here at Open Table with friends from Georgetown, although I was very worried that my space was going to be a part of that conversation. Most of you guys don't know what that is, and that's okay. Um, We're continuing our "Sinking with Christ sermon series, and I learned a valuable lesson uh, this week as I was finishing up my preparations for being here tonight, is that it's important if you're a guest speaker to ask what the text is before you agree to speak on said text. Uh, I'm not saying Bonnie didn't tell me what it was. She did say conflict, care fronting. So I was like, yeah, I'm not great at those things, but I am great at talking about them, I hope. Um, And then I was like, and she was like, great, thanks for doing it. I know it's a tough week. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess some people have a hard time with conflict. I was thinking that in my head, right? And I opened up my Bible this week, and I don't know if in your Bible... 1 Corinthians uh, 5, the heading in my Bible kind of surprised me, dealing with a case of incest. And so, don't know if it's because I'm from Alabama or why I was asked to speak on that. Love the opportunity to make the circuit around the city. Oh, he's the guy that preaches on incest. So, um, I mean, against, not pro incest. Just let me clarify that for those podcast listeners. Great, so I want to read the passage in just a moment, but would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much that through community, through the Word, the Bible, and through your Holy Spirit in all of us as believers, you desire to help us to live a life that's abundant, John 10 says, and you also desire for us to sync up with you and live life according to how you've designed us. I pray over the next few moments that you would allow us to to dig in and to ask ourselves how you'd be speaking to us tonight and we thank you for that in your name amen so first corinthians 5 is the primary passage i want to read through it and then we'll kind of make our way back um, on some important notes as we kind of are approaching it with the framework of how do we sync up with christ and paul says this jesus talks about it in matthew 18 particularly how do we care for one another when caring for somebody is difficult Or how do we take risk in relationship, knowing that we're more concerned with helping someone than how they feel about us in that moment? And 1 Corinthians 5 just jumps right in, so let's do this together. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. That's throwing shade, or that's what I'm told people call that. Um, A man is sleeping with his father's wife, verse 2, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out your fellowship, the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord. Jesus on the one, uh, in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who is doing this. Verse four, so when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Not usually a Sunday school verse that I've encountered. Um, Keep going so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Verse six, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. But now I am writing to you. That you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. That's from Deuteronomy 13 and 17, that last quote. I love the opportunity to lean into a series uh, where you're kind of teaching and learning in an expositional format. Uh, This is honestly not the type of passage where I wake up in the morning as a campus ministry staff thinking, I'm passionate about talking about 1 Corinthians 5. But what I love about a series like this that you guys are doing through 1 Corinthians and our campus through the book of James is it honestly helps to keep us honest as people of the book, that we're able to talk about Scripture and believe what we say about it. In other words, most of us who are followers of Jesus would say that we believe that the Bible is God's Word, it's active, it's living, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, it's good for teaching and rebuke and correction, but then we kind of camp out in the Psalms, maybe, you know. Proverbs, for sure. They're like spiritual fortune cookies. It's pretty legit. Gospels Like, Jesus, he's radical, but it's Jesus. And then it's like, 1 Corinthians 4, yep, oh, 6, let's just jump right over to 6 with our small group. No, 5, we didn't forget, 5, you missed that last week, okay, bye. Um, but I love the opportunity that preaching expositionally helps us as communicators and hopefully helps you as a part of a Christian community to be absolutely honest as we try, as we ask God to help us become people of the book, to become followers of Jesus. It's not a message that I'm necessarily like, oh man, this is the most exciting topic I've ever talked about. But I do know that if I'm unwilling and you're unwilling to consider the difficult things in scripture, you likely aren't truly following Jesus. You're probably following an image of Jesus that you made and that you called Jesus but happens to agree with you. And also vote with you on the same political lines. But when we read the entirety of Scripture, you and I are come, come to terms with our own ideas and then hopefully with the objective ideas of who God is, what the kingdom of like, and what Jesus would instruct us to do. I think it's Spurgeon that says this, and it spoke to me a few weeks ago. If you ever, he said, if you ever come up on a verse in Scripture uh, that you find yourself at odds with it, yield to it immediately. Yield to the passage in faith, trusting that God knows better than you do. That God is better than you can imagine. And that maybe, just maybe, your perspective and my perspective might be limited. Either by time, by our culture, or by our sinful nature. So 1 Corinthians 5, as you know, Paul is writing this. He's talking to the church in Corinth. It's a pastoral letter Uh, Corinth is a place that is known um, both to theologians and secular historians as a place of sexual promiscuity. It's a huge kind of center of culture. And he's kind of discussing what does it look like for a community of Jesus in an environment like that. So I can't help but think through when I read Corinthians, when I read Paul's letters, how relevant they can be to you and I. And I love this last verse helping you and I to understand that it is not our job to judge those outside of the church. Um, I uh, love what Sean Smith says. He says that the word of God is a sword, but it's a sword which, which we as Christians are to learn to hug. We are not to use the Bible as a weapon against culture. Why? Because we hope to reach and influence people and then change culture itself through Jesus. What's interesting, though, is that earlier in this passage, we do find out that it is the job of followers of Jesus to judge some people. And that's unpopular, right? There's no clicks, there's no snaps, there's no amens, there's no tweets on that. And I'm not necessarily passionate about that, but in so much as what I prefer, but as I look to Scripture, these first kind of 10, 12 verses of chapter 5, let us know that when we care for someone, when we love someone— Oftentimes, it involves thinking beyond our feelings and how they might feel about us, but we should be more concerned, as my friend Pete says, with somebody's future. See, it's very popular for you and I to believe that we aren't to judge other people. And Paul says it clearly here. Jesus echoes it in Matthew 18, that we are not to use the Bible as a lens to which to judge the world, but we're, of course, to use the Bible as a lens by which the Holy Spirit can judge you and I. But if a community is Jesus-centered, then it should also be a community on the path to purity and righteousness. There's several reasons for that. It gets a little salty, right, when they're like, just hand the guy over to Satan. That's not usually like, you don't see that on Chi Alpha shirts, like, Join us. If you get sketchy, we'll hand you over to Satan. <laughs> but before you check out and, and are upset with me, um, these aren't my words. Uh, this is in the Bible. Um, and look at the, it's just a means to an end. The end of that, of the desire of why would hand somebody over to Satan is so that their spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. I try to help our students understand this because i struggle struggled with this a lot growing up. I think that the greatest um, trick of the enemy, when I say the enemy, right, I mean Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub, like whatever term you're more comfortable with, same dude, he's pretty bad. Um, I always tell my students Satan is bad and they say all the time and all the time, Satan is bad, okay, good. What's interesting here? And what's interesting about my story is I've learned that the temptation for you and I isn't to tomorrow after Open Table succumb to temptation and just go worship Satan right outside of these doors. That's probably none of your testimonies. You're like, you know, I was at Open Table. Bonnie preached it up. But I decided to live in rebellion of Bonnie's preaching. So I just did a little Satan worship thing. It was awesome. I levitated. It was pretty cool. No, right? I think the greatest deception of Satan is to tell us things that are untrue but sound right. They're religious enough that we give them attention, but they're untrue because they're not in Scripture. It's the difference between guilt and conviction, right? Like when we're under guilt from the enemy, it focuses our attention on our sin instead of our Savior, Conviction of the Holy Spirit helps us to notice our sin, no doubt, but it propels us into reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5. It propels us into renewed right standing, which is righteousness. It puts us back into relationship. But I think that's the the greatest trick of the enemy, one of the greatest, is that in a Christian community, that the enemy would say things that sound almost right, but would help us focus more on what we've done wrong instead of realizing how good God is in spite of what we've done wrong. Spurgeon says it like this, you may have heard it before, is that if we have small sins, then we have a small Savior. In our community, honestly, one of the things that, that we're kind of navigating through, and we have some students and staff here, and I think they'd agree, is, is we've been talking a lot about it, is that we want to make sure that people don't find out in our community at AU how to be good at Chi Alpha, but not how to be good at following Jesus. In other words, um, we say that community makes a terrible Jesus. That community is designed to help point people to Jesus, but it makes a terrible lord of your life. Because you're going to leave Chi Alpha. Spoiler alert, sorry about that. Chi is going to let you down. One day, it'll happen. You'll realize that Bonnie is not an angel. She's human. And she'll disappoint you. Some of you guys are like, what, she will? It'll probably happen once during your undergrad, okay? You've got to be ready for it. The community is meant to point us, to position us towards Jesus. But it makes a terrible Lord. It doesn't have the power that Jesus has to change us. It's temporary and it's kind of like people come and people go and it's good, but we find out through scripture, primarily the Old Testament, and Pete Wilson says it best as that an idol is anything that we put in our lives and expect it to do something that only God can do. So community can be an idol. And I mention all these things because as we look at this passage, we cannot read this and not think seriously about the depths of our sin. But the gospel gives us hope, good news, that the story doesn't end with our sin. The issue is is that if you and I jump to the cross, to death and resurrection, before understanding that the wages of sin is death in our own lives, then we will not appreciate grace fully. And then we'll have a misunderstanding and assume that grace and love is simply accepting and affirming everybody without without ever a thought to challenge somebody to be closer to Jesus. I don't like confronting people. I like talking about how to confront people, but I don't like confronting people. Here's why. Because when I confront a student that I mentor, I am living out this idea that they're to trust in Jesus and not in blame, right? Because I, 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 when I confront them, when I say something that I'm like, you're not going to land well with them. You guys ever been in those conversations? Like, you know you have to tell your friend something, your girlfriend something, your, your parents something. You're like, I know it's not going to go well. Let me leave it on a voicemail. No, I'm just kidding. Like, no matter how much I prep the guys that I mentor, I'm like, usual, my thing is like, hey, I really want you to grow in the next level. Is it okay if I challenge you over the next few moments on something? And then they're like, uh, yeah. And then I just kind of like go for it, right? But it doesn't make it any easier. But the reason that that's hard for me and that's hard for you, and I think that as communities, especially communities that are like this, that are great, that have a diversity of belief, of background, that tend to be affirming and loving and grace-filled, is that oftentimes, if I'm honest, I don't want to risk how someone thinks about me. In that moment. But what's really happening is that I value more what they think of me than how they're relating to Jesus. Because sin is separation, right? What you and I tolerate in our lives and the lives of our friends will end up defining us. What we don't address, what we don't talk about, what we don't try to struggle together about will end up being the very things that are cultivated in our relationships. It's the scariest thing about being in ministry. And I don't mean just like as a professional. Minister, I mean, all of us that are doing ministry, call to ministry, life group leaders, those of you guys that are involved in serving, the craziest thing to me, the most sobering thing about it is that you and I don't create disciples based on what we say, but on who we are. It's the most sobering thing that I'm going to reap what I sow. Sometimes I don't sow good seed. Sometimes my, my words outpace in faith my actions. And when I read this passage, it helps you and I to focus on the idea that sin is something that's real. And it's not just a mistake, or a hiccup, or a boo-boo, but it's you and I living in contrast to the will of God. It's you and I living in active rebellion to who God is, and who God says that we are and that's why Paul's words are so strong here and Jesus' words are so strong in Matthew 18 is how we navigate somebody in the community who is not living according to scripture but claims to be so get this this person that's being talked about here who's in this really strange don't want to talk about too much incestuous relationship is that they're at a point where they're claiming to be a follower of Jesus and they see nothing wrong in their life of sin This isn't talking about someone who's struggling well. Uh, This isn't talking about someone who's in accountability, who is failing but knows that they're failing, right? I I love what Brian Zan says. He says that, that faith and Christianity isn't about being perfect. It's about struggling and following well towards Jesus. That's not this person here. This person is ignorant and oblivious to how their life is in contrast or is at odds with the goodness of God. And there's a few reasons why Paul takes such drastic steps of instruction for you and I. One, it's for the person's good. Sometimes to love somebody well, you have to say something that they may not like in that moment. I was thinking about that today uh, when I was taking my son for a very healthy meal at McDonald's. And um, it wasn't healthy at all. And he kept wanting to like, just grab handfuls of barbecue sauce and then like, dip his apples in his barbecue sauce and dip his superman toy into his barbecue sauce I'm like dude eat the fake chicken nuggets now eat them Uh, and I'm like I'm, I'm trying to give him directions I'm trying to love him well and I found out like day three of being a dad that my job isn't to make him happy my job is to hopefully lead him to wholeness spiritually emotionally physically that means that he and I disagree a lot sometimes on a theological level For instance, I'm like, it's bedtime. He's like, no. I'm like, yes. I'm like, your your sin nature is doing this, son. This is not the image of God in you. All is grace, but I'm about to spank you, dude. This passage helps us to refocus that Christian community is a picture of the kingdom of God, but community isn't the end. It's the means to the end which is our maturity in God's glory. So we're to take sin seriously in our own lives, and we're to take it seriously in the lives of our friends in Christian community, and that's hard. Because you're either in a community that, that does this in one of two ways. You either have never done confronting, what my alpha director is called care fronting, confronting with care, you like that, there you go. Um, or you're like a part of the community, like, every single second you're like confronting each other. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I heard you listen to secular music. Um, are you going to enjoy hell? They play that a lot in the elevator down. It's pretty awesome. Thank you for that. Thank you. I'll Venmo you later. Um, we're to be honest with our brokenness. with the brokenness of others so that we would be restored in relationship and so that the community would be unapologetic for the faith In the bible it says that they will know us for our love for one another that's not talking about our love from the church capital c universal church to those outside the church It's a misunderstanding of that text. It's saying that those outside of the church will know uh, who God is and that we're Jesus people, that we're spirit people by our love for each other in this room, in this community. That amidst our own brokenness, that we can be traveling towards Jesus together. Not perfectly, but always pursuing an idea greater than our own, a truth greater than our own subjective reasoning. We also find out that this is important that keeping our community on a path towards purity, not completely pure, that's impossible, there's no perfection outside of Jesus, is so that uh, you've been there, right? Like maybe you've, you've had friends that they don't want to come to Chi Alpha or come to church or be a Christian, not because they have beef with Jesus, it's because they have beef with Jesus' followers. I heard this prayer once, uh, somebody prayed, said, Jesus, save us from your followers, I've heard it said like this, Jesus just like needs a new PR department because Christians are the worst. Like our job is to represent him and we suck at it, right? This passage is speaking to that, saying that we have to take seriously the health of this community, not just for those in it, although Alicia Shulley says that we cannot quarantine disobedience, and so it's helpful for our own righteousness and our own walking in the light, but it's also helpful for those that are on looking towards us or that are looking at us, that we have some sense of Jesus changing us, and Jesus doesn't change us to make us more entrepreneurial, he doesn't change us to make us better looking, he doesn't change you so you can have a great business idea. Jesus came so that you and I would be forgiven, and that we would live lives that would point to him. I realize that I have superficial relationships in my own life when I think back and I can't think of a time where someone in that friendship hasn't challenged me or I haven't challenged them. Because I'm more concerned with how they feel at the moment than how they're doing in relation to God over the long term. Honestly, I think living in Christian community is one of the ways that we're called to die to ourselves and it's one of the most painful because it's so personal and it's so familiar. These things are not easy. So you might be asking a question that I have when I've heard this passage taught is, but is anybody doing this, right? Like, you're like, I've been to local church for a long time, I've been in Chi Alpha, I haven't really heard of excommunications like this, I don't think we struggle with incest, but I haven't really seen this play out in our community. To which I, I would lovingly say we have to build our understanding of who God is, who Jesus is, and what the kingdom is like, not from our experience, but from how God says it's to be. And that's hard because our faith is experiential. But, but it's similar to like when somebody's like, well, I don't know if I've ever, you know, seen God heal somebody. It's like, well, I can build my doctrine from that or I can build it from an understanding of who God says he is. And, and here's the confession moment, is that if you are following Jesus and if you're trying to read the Bible and apply it to your life, I hope that, that you know and that you're honest enough with yourself that there should be parts that are really hard for you. Like, there are parts that are hard for Bonnie and parts that are hard for me. I meet with students all the time, and they, like, assume that I just, like, love every part of the Bible. It's like, no, there's some authors I don't really get along with. There's some books, particularly the first half, pretty violent. I was homeschooled. It's very violent in the first half of the Bible, if you guys haven't noticed. Um, But I think through that, and I think through what my response is, and it's this idea is, am I willing to make Jesus the Lord of my life? Am I willing to take God at his word? Or am I going to kind of piecemeal, a la carte, just take what I want to take from Scripture? That's hard. So I think at every point of our lives as followers of Jesus, we should be looking to submit ourselves to the character and the story of God. But that doesn't mean it's easy, and that doesn't mean you can't struggle with it. I struggle all the time with why the Old Testament is in the Bible. I'll be honest. I'm like, God, why? Why? It's so crazy, man. It's so crazy. I mean, the left-handed people being cursed, that's real. That's true. That's true. You guys are cursed if you're left-handed. I believe that, seriously. I'm just joking. That was a joke, never mind. Cool, awesome. Like three freshmen are like, I hate this guy. That's okay. 1 Corinthians 5 helps me as a follower of Jesus and as a minister to realize that I can be proud like it says in verse 2 of the wrong things. D.L. Moody says that greatest fear isn't that we would fail but it's that we succeed in the wrong areas of life that if we have a community and we're done with this as a community like they'll tell you like, we don't want to be a Chi Alpha that is really good and really big but the size of heaven doesn't shift we don't want to be a Chi Alpha where it's cool and the university loves us and hundreds of students come but 10 years from now, 20 years from now no impact has been made And the way that we make impact is we care for one another just like Jesus did. I love how Jesus loves people and calls them out on their sin, but they still love to be around him. Have you guys ever noticed that like, people that disagree with Jesus love being around Jesus? One day I woke up and I was like, that's not my story. People that disagree with me hate being around me. I have no friends that disagree with me. My life sucks. But everybody likes me. learning from this passage and from my time facilitating a ministry community, a community on campus, that we often underestimate the type of love that the Bible calls for, and we overvalue or misunderstand what maybe the magic or the key word of our time would be uh, tolerance. See, I love how Jesus says anyone can come, but Jesus also says, like, I love you so much that I don't want you to stay where you're at. It's so tempting for us to believe the lie. That as long as people just kind of come in, kumbaya, just hang out a of tree, it'll be awesome, you know. The Lord will deal with their stuff when he wants to. Like, I've told myself that, you know, like I've been getting ready for a one-on-one. And I'm like, man, I just really do not want to confront this person. They give a lot in the offering. They sing on the worship team. They have a lot of friends. And they like to ask for prayer requests all the time from people. That's just a good word for gossip, but whatever. Um... And I'm like, man, Lord, would you just deal with them? Like, why don't you? You're good at this, Lord. Like, I'm more of like a Robin sidekick. You do the sin stuff, I'll do the fun stuff. And I realize when I read this that Jesus is saying it's you, your role and it's my role to call out the best in people and to help them in areas of growth. And that calling out the best in people, there's another word for that, it's prophecy, the prophetic. It's speaking encouragement and calling out what we see, the God things in their life and saying, yes, I see that in you, I saw how you minister to that person, I saw how you care for your roommate. And saying, yes, keep going on that road. I think the issue is that is we have a culture that's full of affirmation and feedback, but never ever brings confrontation with care or care fronting. We honestly stunt people's spiritual growth. I've done it. I've sat on an issue that someone's had. And I knew in that moment, months later, that I didn't truly care for that person more than I cared about my own reputation, because if it's an area of sin in somebody's life, scripture tells us that sin leads to bad things, the Bible uses the word death, and so am I willing to have a moment of risking death in relationships so that they would have life beyond me? Or do I position myself at such a key role in their story that I do not want them to sacrifice how they view me, even if it means that they could grow? even if it means they could be whole. Now, I just want to put a disclaimer. Like, if you're so excited about this message, you're like, dude, I'm so excited. I'm going to care front up my small group this week. Ooh, I'm so excited. It's probably not the right spirit. Just want to throw that out there. If you're like, I'm so ready to confront people, this is great. Maybe like push it on pause a little bit. Uh, But I think most of us probably need to be more honest and that God wants to use us to minister to someone and sometimes that means calling them out of a place where they've fallen out of a place where they don't see a blind spot and to say like hey I love you enough to tell you this and you're going to be upset with me but I care more about where you'll be in six months and in a year than how you're going to feel with me at this moment it's scary I mean if I'm honest those conversations do not get any easier I mean I don't I don't know about you but I still sweat in weird places before those conversations I hate them I hate them but I realize that Jesus cares more than I do about someone's spiritual growth. And if I'm to be a person of Jesus, 1 Corinthians 5 helps me to realize that I've been focused too long at critiquing culture from afar and missing moments of conflict, healthy conflict with those that are close to me. Not so that I'm right, but so that they would be in right standing with God. It's not an easy word. It's not an easy application, but it is an application that helps you and I to look more like Jesus, both to each other and to the world around us. I've got a few more things to say, but I know you guys like to uh, make sure I continue to pay my therapist for my anxiety disorder. So live Q&A, this is awesome. Let's do that. Every time students come, to open table from AU, they're like, why don't we do that? And I'm like, don't you remember I have an anxiety disorder? And I, ah. So, but I do it because I love Bonnie and Georgetown. So, um, Mary, I'm trusting you in this moment. Right now, yeah. (laughs) She was like, good to know, good to know, keep going. I want to say I'm after. I'm sorry, I was not clear. Thank you for confronting me on that, you're right. (laughs) Um. How should we yield to the scriptures that promote gender discrimination, like in 1 Corinthians 11? Yeah. And I mean, that's go- the only question that we have for you, so. Well, thank you, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> I don't think Mary understood when I said earlier, like, start with the softball. Maybe I went with the wrong analogy. Maybe she doesn't do the sports thing. Um, I think scripture, um, it's not it's like a thought to me, but uh, scripture interprets scripture. So I think that's key. Not only finding out what a particular author said in other places, like Paul seems to be like, whoa, why is he anti-women? But then in other places, he's praising people like Priscilla, who's the leader of the church, which is total, total counterculture for him to affirm her leadership in one of his writings. So it's important to compare their writings and then to compare it within the scope of scripture. Now, sometimes it's easy to be like, to take that too far and just be like, but I know God wouldn't do that, you know, or I just don't feel like God would, I feel, 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 feel. Uh, and, you know, like I think emotions are from God, but I do think that honestly, uh, what's more important than, than our feelings is, is the truth of God. And sometimes it takes a while for our feelings to catch up to our beliefs in who God is. Um, so I would say, I, I think that um, it's important to read controversial passages within the context of what the writer is saying elsewhere, within the context of the story of God and from a Christological framework, from reading it as Jesus has the lens like we talked about it at Fall Retreat. I would argue, and I have before, that I do not think the Bible um, is as sexist as people make it out to be. I, I do think we have to be honest that in the Genesis narrative, God genders humanity pre not So I'm saying that God, for some reason, has gender as a part of his plan. I'm not saying that that's how I would run the universe. I'm not saying that that's easy. I do think though that the church for a long time has made some assumptions about why God gendered humanity and that's led to abuses. In other words, I think there's unique things about the genders, but I think they have more to do with the expression of characteristics of God than the function that the people with those specific genders have to play. That's why I can read that passage and believe in amazing women pastors and leadership like Bonnie Duncan. That's why I read that passage and think that uh, it's about living in marriage as, as partnership. Um, that's why I can read these passages in the context of Scripture and think through what it means. And I think also, too, the example about um, uh, in Philemon, Onesimus, uh, uh, I think that Jesus doesn't share a lot of things that he could have shared. Like, he's not like, so here's some loaves and fishes, and there's this thing called the solar system. Boom, You know? He's not like, Pluto, it's a planet, it won't be. No, he, he, he tends to do something that we're uncomfortable with. He focuses solely on himself and the kingdom. And sometimes that means important, but secondary things aren't revealed until later. And so I love the example that we see in Philemon where he's not saying, hey, you need to um, upend all of um, slavery and racism but he is making a personal heart-to-heart appeal to one master for one slave who's a brother in Christ. So I would say that I read New Testament, the Bible does not uh, endorse um, gender discrimination or slavery. I do think the unfortunate thing, and I have to tell my students this soon in the message, is that the things that we put as primary issues need to be secondary to the person in Jesus. That's tough. Because I want racial reconciliation as much as the next person. I want gender equality as much as the next person. Those are important things. Those things matter in our lives. But but Jesus makes sure that people get him before they get issues that have gospel implications. In other words, he moves us to his heart before he moves us to action in external issues. And so I think that sometimes Jesus is radical, or as Eugene Peterson says, he's more political than we'd ever expect in ways that we usually don't want. So I think he's revolutionary, but I think he's more concerned with his kingdom coming than he is with addressing the issues of me, a millennial leader, in the timing that I want. I think that's hard. I'm not saying that that's easy. And and I I know I'm saying that from a position of privilege. um, But I do think the gospel does move us to social action. The gospel does move us to be agents of the kingdom in the here and not yet, as the Lord's Prayer says. But I do think the gospel first calls us to abide with Jesus because John 15 says that if we do anything apart from abiding in Jesus, it is worthless fruit. It is empty. It is in vain. Dick Brogdon says it best before we move on. And he says the greatest tragedy is that we could give someone access to education, to water, to nourishment, to opportunities, but then not give them access to Jesus. He says that in some ways we've been more concerned with the temporal and less with the eternal. Um, I think that if we're concerned with the eternal, it'll move us to address temporal issues. But I think if we start with the temporary and try to then connect it to the eternal, I think we have a, 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 a somewhat shoddy hermeneutic for what the kingdom looks like. And I think the kingdom already exists. Like, nothing will prevail against the kingdom. I was at a conference these few days, and, and I love that they talk about that verse, like, nothing will um, prevail against... Or, you know, the gates of hell will not prevail. And they were just saying, like, gates are a defensive weapon. So, like, as Christians, we should be on the advance in culture against things that we see that are not right. But we have to come from an understanding of Jesus. And that has to inform us. If not, I think we'll become bitter, we'll become exhausted, and then social justice will become the Lord of our life and not Jesus, and that's hard, because there are some terrible things out there, and the weight of brokenness does not fall evenly on my shoulders like it does others, especially blacks in America right now. So I understand saying this from a position of privilege, and I understand that the world is broken, but I don't pay the price of that brokenness as much as others in this room, but I do think that we have to get to Jesus first, and then flow out of that, in order for it to have an eternal impact. That's hard, that's slow, Um, it's not as... uh, It's not as uh, easy to advertise as, like, Tom's, Um, but I think it's the way of Jesus, Uh, and I think Blake McCoskey would agree with me, so, yeah. Any other questions after that? Okay. That was was, was interesting. Mary, thank you for doing that. I'm saying thank you just not because I'm really thankful, but I want to be. Psalm 72 tells us that deep cries unto deep. When I think through my sins, the sin of those around me and how it affects me, my family, our staff team, our community, I realize that the closer I get to people, the more likely they are to hurt me, but then the more I'm able to experience the grace of God. Spurgeon said it like this He said, May I never pray for a surface level understanding of grace. that may I not pray for a life that is void of suffering in other words he said may I not try to avoid suffering because in doing that I would avoid a fullness of grace and goodness I think I I would share this and I share it with my community too that just because we've seen conflict done poorly doesn't mean we should give up on conflict altogether there are ways and you've experienced it you may not have called it conflict you may not have said Hey, Joel, thanks for that care from bro. You may not have said that, but there's been times when someone's challenged you and thought better of you and thought the Spirit could live more mightily through you, and they've told you that. It doesn't, this isn't permission to be a jerk. 1 Corinthians 5 is giving us the imperative, the necessary obligation we have to care about people standing with Jesus and all of our theology and our belief exits through our hands and our feet. That's why we have to pay attention to actions. James says it's not actions that save us, but it's live faith that produces godly action. It's dead faith that's unsaving that does not produce actions. So this is giving us a prerogative theologically as a community to ensure that we each have saving faith, not hoping that somebody agrees with us, but hoping that all of us come a little bit more in alignment with the word of God. It's not easy, but it's worth it. I remember moments where, whether it was Mike Godzwa or, Chris Foster or Ryan Thompson, where they sat me down and said, hey, can we talk? And I'm like, "Ooh, those words? Can we talk? I guess. Uh, Sure. Um, And then they just kind of like, I think in the moment, like, I felt like they were attacking me. Um, I think we have such a low tolerance for pain as millennials right now. It, It stunts our growth. They weren't attacking me. They were attacking the parts of my flesh that Jesus wanted to die. And we have to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to die. Joel and I were talking about it the other day. I always talk about um, marriage to my wife Hannah. I'm like, man, it's war. It is war. And we live together, you know. It's crazy to be at war with your roommate, you know. It's like, why? It's not because I don't, I hate my wife. No, but she brings up my own selfishness. And I realize that I'm at war with who the flesh says I should be and who the spirit says I should be. Community should be causing us to have those tense relationships. And we should in faith step out and say hey I, I love you Reed, but I've seen this man tell me some more hey I, I don't are, are you are you willing to be wrong that's the key question that I hopefully ask myself but I, when we do conflict resolution on our campus particularly like between small group leaders you know which we've done before uh, we open up say hey let's pray and then are you willing to be wrong are you willing to be wrong am I willing to be wrong okay because the goal isn't being right it's being right with Jesus and so you can say the right things from the wrong motivation or in the wrong way and miss the boat completely Pharisees, you can kind of read their story, they do that very well. So, um, great. Okay. I would like to pray. I would like to transition us to worship. And as we think through um, today's passage, I want to encourage you is that Jesus was, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's likely patient with you, but he's likely also challenged and convicted you. Jesus is just asking us to do that for those that we love as friends and those that we have to realize he loves even more than we do. doesn't mean that every preference, every little thing we need to kind of have an official care front, like bring all the leaders together. I didn't like Bonnie's outfit at open table. We need to to step in here. She's hurting the gospel witness. She's a great dresser, so that's not true. That's just a fake story. But we do need to be willing to trust that when Jesus calls us to be his ambassadors, he's not asking us to be like an ambassador at a low level. You know, like when somebody gets like that ambassador appointment, if you guys read the news and it's like to a country you've never heard of, you're like, that was like the guy got fired, you know? When I ever see that person got like an ambassador appointment to Genovia, I'm like, that's not even a real place. Genovia? Really? You're the assistant ambassador to Genovia. Jesus is calling us to be ambassadors from Christ To each other, not to attack culture, but to call out the best in each other. And because we're fallen, he also wants us to address the messy stuff in our lives. And he wants us to do it in relationship. Jesus was great at being in the filth and messiness with people and doing so from the context of I know you and you know that I'm for you. Let's stand. I want to pray a prayer over us as we sing in response together. God, I thank you for hard passages of scripture because they remind me that I'm not in charge and you are, which is really good news when I mess up, when I sin, when I fail, when I give myself over to perfectionism and self-sufficiency. God, I pray for this community, for the community I have the privilege of leading, that we'd be willing to trust you and love somebody enough to wade through uncomfortableness in order that we might look more like you and others might come to know you. May my love of myself and my reputation and my desire to please people and to be like never get in the way of another child of God growing more in the likeness that you've called us to. God, speak to us areas that you want us to change. Confront us. And this week, maybe as somebody confronts us or as you ask us to confront somebody, may we do it in love, with a bias towards reconciliation and redemption, but realizing that Christian community is more than just fun together. It's about being made whole together. And we thank you for this opportunity, and we trust you even when it's hard. In your name, amen.